This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And for listeners out there, I apologize because I promised more chicken stories this week, <laughs> <laughs> but we have something else. Taylor has another story from the farm. Yes. Which may get edited out before. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. It is snake season. And by snake season, I mean when you live or have chickens, I don't know, maybe even in urban areas, um, but the chickens are out in a rather rural place, um, you get snakes. And I am not someone who's grown up in the country or wherever. So for me, snakes, I still have a very visceral response to them. And uh, there have been some things that have triggered that visceral response. I mean, I've once walked in on, I don't know, a seven or eight foot rat snake in the chicken nest. I once laid my hand down a few, maybe less than a foot away from a copperhead. Uh, These things kind of tend to scar you. (laughs) And, and I'm not, so I've slowly over time gotten more comfortable with the idea of snakes. I don't, if I know it's a rat snake, I don't like killing them. Um, they're, they're dangerous. To, they'll, they'll strangle, they're constrictors. So they'll strangle chickens and then not be able to eat them. They eat chicks, they'll eat eggs. Um, and so you don't want them anywhere near your chicken yard, but they're really good rodent control. And you know, rats and mice are just always a problem out in, well, in cities too, right? There's always, so there, the, snakes, I've come to accept the fact that non-venomous snakes are very healthy for the environment, for the ecology, but I still don't like them. <laughs> and rat snakes are really aggressive. Like they're not venomous, but they will bite you if they're given half a chance. So I'm not comfortable handling them or whatever. So there's this side of me that like totally gets it on an intellectual level. And there's this side of me that is like primal brain, freak out, run, scream, burn everything down. There's a snake in it, right? So one of the things that I do to protect young young chicks, like when they're still growing, is I put bird netting over their little enclosure. And the bird netting um, keeps like hawks from being able to dive bomb in and grab them. It keeps the predators, it helps keep the predators out. But one thing it also does is if a snake comes crawling in, it gets caught in it and it can't get out because it gets twisted up in it. To me, that's not the purpose of putting it there. I'm just trying to protect the chicks. But every once in a while, a snake will get caught in there. So anyway, the other night, and I I usually do stuff 
out in the chicken yard at night because I still have to work, you know, I have to do my, my work. So I go, I go out at night with a flashlight and I don't feel any threat or any danger. It's, it's safe. And, um, I was minding my own business and I look up and there's like a four or a five foot rat snake right in front of me in, in the fence. <laughs> and I had recently cut all the chicken, the, the bird netting down because I was get cleaning it out and I had not yet had a chance to put it back up, but there's this small little section that still had some like uh, zip tied to the fence and there's a rat snake caught in it. And I was like, Oh, you know, instant, like visceral reaction. And I was like, well, how long has that been there? Because I, I know maybe I was just like not paying attention and it's been there, but didn't like smell like it was dead for a while or anything. And I looked at it and it moved. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and then I was faced with a moral dilemma. And this story does not have a, like a, a satisfying ending. My moral dilemma is the snake is still alive. Do I try and cut it out and then at 1130 at night, go try and find some place to release it so that it doesn't come back here and eat my chicks? And, and I have to deal with this snake that I'm just like even telling this story, my stomach wants to throw up. <laughs> or do I just walk away and not do anything at all and then have to deal with it later? And I just couldn't bring myself to do anything about it in the moment. So the snake died. Ah, okay. Which I feel really guilty about. But I was I afraid you were going to go a different direction. <laughs> like I let the snake loose? The, well, like you <laughs> tried to. And, and yeah, something awful oh, happened. No, I, I just, I couldn't. And, and I, I feel ashamed of myself. I feel like I did not do the right thing. I should have cut that snake. I, I don't, I don't believe in animal suffering. Like, if, if you're going to raise animals and you're going to eat them, then you give them a good life and you end it quickly. Like that's, that's what you do, but you don't like just let things suffer. And I let it suffer and I feel horribly guilty, but at the same time, I am not prepared <laughs> to deal with that yet. <laughs> so that's my story for this week of something that happened and it does not have a satisfying ending. It's still, I still have to deal with it. It's, it's not nearly it's, it's as cute there. or funny as your last several, as, as no. your last several stories. No, not as cute and funny. And I am stuff. definitely not going to look up a snake picture and use it as the uh, image for I this show. You'll give someone a heart attack. I have but the same visceral reaction to snakes, by the way. It's like, I feel really proud of myself that I've made the progress from kill them all to no, they serve a purpose. I don't want to kill it. But I haven't quite yet made that bridge to how to how to actually handle them and deal with them. And, and I'm scared because I don't I, I don't recognize snakes well enough yet to know, OK, I know that that's not a copperhead. Copperheads are dangerous. But we also have like water snakes, water moccasins. And I've never seen one of those and those terrify me. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I, I, I don't want to get myself bit and, and it scares me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> I hope you're wearing boots when you go out. You're not wearing flip flops or something when you go no, out. At, I, wear, uh... I wear muck boots, but they're, they're a, a snake can sink their fangs into those <laughs> leather. You have a little more protection, but. Yeah. Okay. Now I got to get my stomach to settle. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> all right. All right. Now I have a great transition for this. Okay. So you're talking about needing your stomach to um, settle. And so our show today, Taylor is going to be going through some of my material, which causes my stomach to roil a little bit. I want to give the disclaimer. I want to give the oh, massive yeah. disclaimer. And I'll, I'll try and do it shorter than Taylor usually does. And that is that none of this is personal. Everything is it's really great. It's brilliantly written. And she loves Every bit of it, except for these <laughs> couple of paragraphs that we're going to tweak for a little bit in here. And, you know, while it may seem like some of it is, is kind of bad, it wasn't really bad. And let's just go from there. Yes. Yeah, so How did great. I do with the disclaimer? Yes, yeah, great. Great disclaimer. <laughs> I love the disclaimer. So we're going to launch off of some episodes that we've already there's, there's background to this. So if you're a new listener or if you want to refresh your memory, we, we discuss so much on this show that it's impossible to recap everything important before we continue on the discussion. So I'm going to rattle off some numbers here. If you're driving or running, you're, you'll probably have to come back for reference. And I think Steve is going to include these in his show notes. So here are some specific episodes that have material in them that is sort of background or foundation for what we're about to go into today. The first is episode 206, which is avoiding the two extremes when it comes to writing description. Then we have 211, which is avoiding character aimlessness to improve pacing and characterization. 213, every scene needs a purpose, description. 225, how going deeper than the obvious makes characters feel real and alive, and 235, using inner dialogue to guide conversation. Which would and be last week's episode. That was last week's episode. That's right. And so every single one of those has some part of this discussion in it, but they're all good refresher refresher episodes. If we, if we were going to say this, what we're going to talk about today actually branches off in a couple directions, but it falls under the umbrella of every scene needs a purpose description. So we would say this is part two on that. And we're just going to take it one step further. And it's going to be another one of those episodes or dual episodes where we use a very small chunk of text. And I go into way too much explanation because it's just a good opportunity to talk about things that maybe we haven't brought up yet. And um, so, but it does, it, both of the things that we're going to cover, everything we're going to cover more or less falls under the issue of description. So I'm going to read this scene to you from uh, Steve's work in progress. And it's really just very three or four very small paragraphs. And here's what you need to know leading up to this scene that we're going to read. Reggie, who is our main character, is on his way to his office. Reggie doesn't carry a smartphone. He doesn't carry digital devices. So the office is the only place where he can get email and he's going there to follow up on something. He's waiting for something to arrive. So he needs to see if it's there. So the other thing you need to know is at this point in the story, we have been here to the office with him before once. And at that time, during that scene, we get a sense of where the office is located in relation to the building itself, uh, where the office is located in relation to his home, his family's firm, and the beach. 
and we get an idea of how the office looks and also how his business is doing as a whole, which is not well because he tends to treat it more as a hobby than as a, a full-time enterprise. So the takeaway from all of that is we've been here before, we know where it is, and we know what it looks like. And so here's where these small paragraphs come into play. The office was directly across the street from Spice. Spice is a restaurant that he was describing in few paragraphs earlier. Up three flights of dark stairs to the third floor patio that served as the hallway for the various offices. I unlocked the door and flipped on the lights. Calling my office sparse would be generous. I had the usual office furniture and a single picture on the wall, me and 20 of the best men in the world taken outside a dusty camp in Afghanistan. I turned on my computer and checked my email. There she was in my inbox, Cassandra Pennington. She'd spent half a dozen high she'd sent half a dozen high resolution pictures of the card, including three of the back. And that's it. That small amount of text is where we're going. Before we can dive deeper into this, though, I have to clarify a small bit of confusion. And that's because when I was looking over this, uh, it took me a second. And then I realized, okay, this is part of what's not working here. The it's this is the type of mistake that's so easy to overlook. Like it's like a typo that it's something that usually beta readers will catch. And that is that the word office in this little sequence is being used to describe two separate things. So the, there's the office in general, which is like the entire business space. So the office was directly across the street from Spice. Right. And then there's the office as in his individual workspace. So like his room or, you know, where we have our own office within the office. Right. So it's being the same word is being used to describe both different things. And normally that's not an issue as long as there's context, because sometimes there's only one way to say something. Right. But you and you use it in multiple meanings, but you have to have context to clearly delineate one from the other. And we're not getting that here. So that means that this little segment opens up with a sense of vagueness and not really knowing where Reggie's body is in space and time. And it also is paving the way for some of the issues that we're about to discuss. Because oh, also, I mean, office is also used a third way in this, in that it's used to describe all the other businesses on the same floor, where it says, um, the third floor patio that served as a hallway for the various offices. But that's kind of more of a line edit issue. So we don't have to focus on that. But I just mentioning it because I know somebody's going to listen to this and say, actually, that word office. So anyway, yes, I know, but it doesn't matter here. So the reason that I am making this point of clarification over the two ways that the office, offices are being used is because so much of what we're going to talk about in this small segment is intertwined. And the first entanglement is that when we have description, we need to know exactly what is being described. That's number one. And here's the description from that segment. It says, calling my office sparse would be generous. I had the usual office furniture and a single picture on the wall, me and 20 of the best men in the world taken outside a dusty camp in Afghanistan. Now, I believe through inference that my office in this case is referring to Reggie's personal workspace. It's not the general business space, but that's not actually clear through context because as far as Reggie's physical body is concerned, 
we just entered the threshold of the business space in general. And we know that because it says the office was directly across the street from Spice. So the office means the whole thing, right? Up three flights of dark stairs to the third floor patio that served as the hallway for the various offices. I unlocked the door, which is the main one, and flipped on the lights. So Reggie's unlocked his door, he flipped on the lights, and were immediately then handed a description. Calling my office sparse would be generous. I had the usual office furniture, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that this description is talking about his own individual office space in this thing. Can I just interrupt you for a second? Yeah. I just want to point out, because I know other people heard this as well, <laughs> we just had the first ever rooster crow on the Taylor oh. Stevens show. <laughs> I am so This is a landmark. This is a landmark. <laughs> I am so used to it. I don't even hear it. And it's just a little tiny bitty bantam who likes to hang out on the front porch. <laughs> <laughs> that is hysterical. <laughs> I'm blushing right now. Okay. <laughs> Back to where we were. So um, so Reggie unlocked the door. He flips on the lights and we're immediately handed the description. So we started off talking about the main office. He turns on the light and now we're describing what I believe is his own personal office space. Now, here's a question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter where Reggie's body really is. Why does it matter which office we're talking about? And here's why. A, because that word office is describing two things. Because without knowing where his body is, we just have this vague sense of time and space. But the most important one of all is because this is the second time we've been to his office with him. And that one matters because that's going to guide how we fix the other issues. So if this was the first time that we'd been to this office space with Reggie, never been to his office before, don't know anything about it, then to fix this sense of vagueness, to fix the word office being used to describe multiple things, to fix his knowing where his body is in time and space, we'd focus on body movement, character in motion, We'd use some small tweaks to give us the spatial cues so that we know where Reggie is, and then we'd be done. But this isn't the first time we've been to this office space with Reggie, and that's because of this description here. Like, if this description wasn't here, we'd also be having a completely dis different discussion. But because this is the second time we've been to the office, and because we're being handed description of the office, that's going to take us in a whole different direction, and that's guiding what we're going to talk about next. So that leads us to number two. Visual and spatial objects, like description, right? The, the layout, everything, should always be introduced whenever a location is first shown through that character's eyes. And this falls under first person shooter concept, where we see things through the character's eyes as the character sees them. So if we've already been here with the character, we've already seen this layout through his eyes, then unless there's been some plot movement that involved changes to the environment, unless it's a magical world where inanimate objects just spontaneously generate, we should have already seen these things. We should have already known what his office looked like 
and I say office and also office. In this particular story, Reggie's already been to the general office, and he's shown us what that looks like. But it's not super clear if he'd already entered the individual workspace office, which is presumably what he's doing right now. But he definitely stood by its door, and he held a lengthy conversation, and he discussed all these things. So even if he never technically crossed the threshold of his individual workspace office with the door and everything, because we spent so much time in the office office, it already feels like he has. So when we encounter this information about the office again here, even if the details are new, a little bit different, supposedly adding to it, it feels like we already know all this. We've already seen it. We've already been here. Why are you telling us this? I'm not saying that to Steve. I'm just saying that's what the brain is not even thinking. It's just sort of this feeling that you get like, what, what is this? We already know this. Move on, right? And, you know, your goal as you're writing is to skip the boring parts. So even if you're actually adding something here, the brain doesn't see it that way. It's like, I get it. Move on, right? So when we take all of that together, these descriptive phases like calling my office sparse would be generous. I had the usual office furniture, a single picture on the wall. They don't belong here unless one or a we're able to make it clear through the narrative or inner dialogue in a non-awkward, non-beat-you-over-the-head, ham-handed way about it, that this is the first time we're with him in this particular space. So in other words, to make it work in, in the, using this exact example, we would have to, if we didn't want to show this detail up front at the very beginning in the first scene, we would have to make it clear that he never enters his own personal office space. And we would have to reiterate that again in the second time that we're so that we know we're seeing it for the first time. And for something this small, that can be really clumsy and awkward. And so it's easier to just give all the information up front instead of having to deal with making it more than it needs to be later down the line. That was A. B is we give the description its own meaning so it serves a deeper purpose. In other words, it's not just this rattling off of it looked like this, it looked like this, it looked like this, but that it has something personal, that there's a reason that we're describing it now, that we're showing you this now after we've already been to this place. So I, I was trying to think how to help clarify that, because we always run into these situations of, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And it's really hard to take an example and then apply it straight across the board to everything, right? So to help clarify this, Let's pretend that instead of discussing description as it relates to places, settings, things, whatever, that we're talking about describing a character. We're meeting a character that we've already met once before. Right? So when we first introduce a character, we give readers all the physical detail they need to paint a mental image of that character. That doesn't mean that we lay the entire life story on the page, but we're painting a picture, right? Uh, she had, you know, she was this much tall, had this color hair, you know, a smile that can knock you dead off your feet, whatever. 
that is description, because that's what we're talking about is description. We're not talking about history. We're not talking about characterization or the in-depth little details, just how something looks, because that's what we're dealing with in, in walking into this room, how something looks, right? So when we're introducing a character, we give all that information up front. And once the reader has that image of that character in mind, that's it. That's the way the character looks. It doesn't change. So we might reference some of those character attributes later. And if we do it right, we'll definitely provide more about the character later. But we're not giving that character new attributes. So we don't tell, like, here's how a character looks. And then three chapters later, come back and go, oh, and here's how tall they are, by the way. And then two chapters later, oh, and by the way, they're also an amputee. Right. You everything that you need to know about that character, it, it goes up front. And it's the same thing with this description of places and, and rooms and, and things that you're just trying to paint this picture of, of what stuff looks like. You, you give all of that up front. You don't come back and add it, because if you go, you introduce a character and she had gray eyes and she had gray hair. I'm sorry, not gray hair, brown hair, whatever. OK, she had gray hair, too. Um, and then you come back a couple chapters later and you're like, yeah, and her hair was like the color of, you know, sand on a, you know, cloudy day at the beach, whatever. You're like, you already described her hair. So now that extra description feels like overkill. Like, why are we going on about the hair? Right. So that it, it has the same effect. It's the same exact concept with places. So. With a character, if, if we give all those visual cues up front and then we add something later, like maybe say a, a hidden birthmark or something, that's fine because it's also new to the character who's seeing it. It's new to that point of view character. You can't discuss or describe a birthmark that you that wasn't visible unless the character has that knowledge already and it's like there's some clever way to bring it up that has to do with the personalities or whatever. So in the same way, when I said that if we make it really clear that the character had never been to that particular space within the space in the story, then that's like the equivalent of a birthmark because we're making clear the, the character didn't know and then all of a sudden it's discovered. And sometimes it's worth it and sometimes it's not. And for in this particular situation, particular situation maybe not worth it. Let me jump in here. Let me jump in here for a second. And first off, I love the analogy that you're making between describing a character because that when you when you put it that way, it seems foolish to to go in and describe the character again, despite the fact that I have a tendency to do that. But in this in this instance, I I guess I have this sense that I need to provide description if there's not if there's too much text without something that describes the space or the the atmosphere or something. It it just feels okay. like there needs to be that. So that's that's something. It's it's just something I'm trying to fill in here. If you have more to say about specifically what I'm saying, I interrupted here because we are really we're at a break point. Okay, timing well, wise. Do you want me to answer this in a general sense, and then we? Yes, let's do that. Like okay. a like a, a general 
answer? What do you do when you just feel compelled to throw in description? Okay, so we're going to talk about it more coming up. Um, but the the thing too is situational, right? So you ask yourself, how big is this scene? Like this is a really small scene, right? And those who are listening don't know this because we didn't talk about it yet. But prior to this little segment taking place, we had a bunch of description. We had Reggie sitting, we had Reggie thinking. And that's why I'm linking back to the show on aimlessness. Like you really want to avoid your characters doing too much where they're just not doing stuff, right? So because you have your character in motion, because we've already visited this place, you're probably safe without adding visual description. And then there's exceptions of how to go about and do it, which we're going to cover more coming up that, that might be the alternative to just don't, right? Um, but I wanted to say also that just on this subject, before we close this part of it out, that to be really clear, it's not that we can only mention the way something looks or feels or sounds the very first time that thing is introduced. It's that we don't introduce new elements at a later time, or we don't over discuss it unless there's a specific purpose to doing it beyond just to use Steve's um, analogy or question that he brought up, unless it's just to put something there. Like that's not the purpose. It can't be the purpose. So the urge to fill something in, you can satisfy that urge if you give that information, that detail purpose beyond just being there. There's one small caveat to all of this, and that is that if it's a new or a different character that's encountering a space for the first time, that's where there's wiggle room for adding new or different detail or description. Because even if the reader's already been there, we're seeing it fresh through new eyes. So that means there's going to be a new spin on it because it's the character. It's always the character that connects us to what's being shown. But, and this is really important, the caveat to the caveat, <laughs> for that to work, for adding new detail, new description, through the eyes of a new character, it still has to have some purpose or something related to that character that's unique to that character's experience. It can't just be there showing things for the sake of showing them. So I know I didn't fully answer your exact question, but I think once we get back to this and I have a chance to explain more and provide more um, another side, a different way of looking at it, that it's going to also expand your question and, and focus the question in, in a different, it'll focus it and it'll take it in a different direction. So I think it's going to answer you, but we'll get to that next week. All right. So great. Thank you uh, all very much for listening. We will be back in your ear next Tuesday when I want to ask Taylor for more information about this new soundtrack that we have to the Taylor Stevens show. <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs>